Hello, and welcome to Back into Thrones. I'm Joseph. And I'm Michael. Today we're going to be discussing House of the Dragon Episode 2, The Rogue Prince. Yeah, and this episode was a very good episode for Very good. Me. They're keeping it up, they're keeping it going. Yeah, it's not as extreme as yeah, the first episode. The premiere very much relied on, like, getting your attention, making it tense, making you aware of what this show is. You can't is. forget that. Exactly. Whereas here, they're more... Like, yeah, we can, re- like, we can go a little bit it's slowly. It's a breather. Get to know the characters. But it's not, it's not really so much of a breather, because a lot happens, and it gets intense. But it's very much more, like, conversational. In less action and violence, and more like that. It's more getting to know where the characters stand. I yeah. Mean, it it, re- it very much works. So, we also have to give a spoiler warning. Yes. This time, for House of the Dragon, episodes one and two. Yep. Potential spoilers for potential seasons coming yeah. out we're, we're not we're not going to spoil fire and blood we're not going to talk no. about future events we're going to talk about it in the context of here yeah because we at the end of the day we know that a lot of people don't know what happens you know it's mostly yeah. book fans who decide to read fire and blood who knows what happens exactly and we can say that potential spoilers for future seasons because they have renewed it for season two yes they renewed season two which is we're gonna get all another whole season so I'm very... And all the crazy stuff that comes with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also a spoiler warning for Game of Thrones in general, seasons one through I eight. I mean, if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, this show could be potentially for people who haven't watched it. So. Yeah, that is that is true. This is potentially And, of course, the books uh, from Game of Thrones to A Dance of Dragons and yep. potentially Winds of Winter. I don't think we're going to try to reference too much, but sometimes if we find a comparison, we'll mention that. Yeah. And, of course, my favorite one's history, because I will be talking about history on some level in this yep we always, we always find our way there and i already figured out what it is oh great yeah. okay we're already there so are you ready joseph ready as ever let's get into house of the dragon episode recap i know that we didn't do a recap for the first episode of house of the dragon the heirs of the dragon and the real reason why we didn't do that is well we kind of forgot we pulled the D. yeah that that's ba- our bad yeah sorry about that but well, we're going to correct ourselves now. Yeah, so from here on out, we're going to do recaps as we do with the Game of Thrones yep. discussions. And yeah. I kind of regret not doing it for episode one, but what are you going to do? We kind of open the episode with the small council, and Corlys Valarian is pissed off because these this triarchy, these pirate, mirish pirates, I guess for lack of a better term, are raiding his ship. So he, who based everything off trade, is losing a lot of money. Yeah. And when Rhaenyra comes up with a solution... She's dismissed as being just a girl and a young princess, yep. not as the heir, and is instead to choose a new Kingsguard, where she uses her own intelligence to pick Kristen Cole, not because of his looks, although I'm sure that was part of it, considering that he's very attractive, I think we can all say that, but because he's a good fighter. Yeah. And not just a tourney knight. Yeah. And Viserys now has the problem of everyone pestering him to remarry, which is a little hard for him because... Even though he basically murdered his wife, he still loved her, apparently. And they were married for... It's been six oh, months long. since she died. Oh, yeah, it's been six months, so he's still not over, but everyone's pressuring him to. Most of all, Corlys Velaryon, who's pushing Viserys to marry Corlys's 12-year-old daughter, Lena, Which is an idea, I guess. But it makes a lot of political sense, but it's very disgusting. Meanwhile, Viserys is already having feelings for Rhaenyra's best friend, Alicent Hightower, who the, is the daughter of yep. the Hand of the King. All of this gets thrown out the window immediately, though, when Damon steals a dragon egg from the dragon pit and then decides that he's going to marry his paramour, Missaria, basically polygamy. He's going to follow Valyrian traditions. This leads to a big confrontation between Otto 
and Daemon Targaryen at Dragonstone, but it ends with Rhaenyra coming in and stealing the show and basically beating him down. Not really literally, but like talking him down, her uncle. And he throws the egg in her face. And then we, Rhaenyra returns to an angry Viserys who is like, I didn't give you permission to go. And it kind of cements the reason why he wants to remarry because danger in ending the line. And then he announces who he intends to marry. Alicent Hightower, which pisses yep. off Corlys and Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra storms out, as does Corlys. And then the episode ends with Corlys Velaryon allying himself with Daemon Targaryen in order to go to the Stepstones and take out this crab feeder who is the leader of the Triarchy Force. Episode rating. I liked this episode a lot better than I liked the first episode. Really? Better than the first one? Yeah, I gave this one a 10 out of 10. So a few, like a, like a half point more than the last one? Yes. And a lot of this came from the fact that both, yes, now we've gotten that theme song, which we will talk about in a minute because I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. And also because this episode had me thinking more than the first episode did, Heirs of the Dragon. Because that episode had me more thinking about what I just watched in the sense of tra- traumatic Yeah. Where this one had me more thinking in deeper thoughts. Yeah. And of course, I guess the first episode had more of the sex idea, and this one does yeah, too. Like, the last episode had more of the setup. This one has the scheming really coming into the face. Yeah, how the wake of Emma Aaron's death really has shifted the realm. She's not just a side character that just died. She has a larger impact in the story than I would say John Aaron did. Yeah. Yep. I actually, I st- I love this episode, but I actually ranked it less than the last one, the first episode. I gave it a 9 out of 10. You can't do half points? I mean, I could, but I just don't hear. Okay. I mean, it was, don't get me wrong, it was, this was an amazing episode and, like, really well done. My only issue is that they called the episode The Rogue Prince, and I didn't get a lot of The Rogue Prince. And I feel like there was a lot of important things that they sh- could have shown us that they just didn't for some reason. Like, we, they only get the, like, Daemon Targaryen stealing that dragon's egg. We only get, like, we find on the small council. We don't see any of the build-up for it. I guess because the whole thing is because they revealed that Daemon was lying, that Missaria wasn't pregnant. But I still feel like there should have been something more with that. We should have gotten a little more Daemon before. And I also think in between the the second to last scene and the last scene itself with Corlys Velaryon going to Driftmark and then calling Daemon, I like how it was done, but I kind of wish there was an in-between scene so we can really get the, an idea of what was happening. Now, I hope that when I talk about the thing I liked most about this episode and the thinking, that you might change your mind based on what I say. Okay. So I'll save that more when we get into the overview, which is going to be in literally a minute. Yeah. But I think maybe I'll change your mind. Okay, I'll I'll give you the chance. Episode Overview The theme song for House of the Dragon has me conflicted. It does. So, there's two thoughts for me here. One is that they use the same theme song. Yeah, but I was not expecting that. So, at first I was kind of a little disappointed because I was very excited to hear the theme song. Yeah. But I quickly actually came to really like this. Because I like the familiarity with it. Not even that, it just... I was thinking, oh my god, they're so lazy, but they changed the whole what we see. They didn't make it the yeah. same thing. Yeah. It was just the same song. And it made me think of what Miguel Sapochnik has already said about this idea and going into House of the Dragon, which is, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So they didn't change it because it didn't need to be changed. Yeah. So that's why I actually came up yeah. to really like it. My problem is that I'm sure there was going to be those people being like, they didn't even bother to change the theme song. They're so lazy. Which, again, was my own thought process before. But I think that when you really look at it, it's not. It really is yeah. just because 
why should we have changed it when it was something that people loved? It, it was, was one of the best things about the show. It was like one of the few things in season eight that people actually were like, oh yeah, I still like that. And even that they changed. Let's not get into that though. No, we're not going to go there. But here I liked the blood too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very much in agree with you. I, at first I was a little bit like, oh, I kind of don't like that. I but the more than me, like I'm nostalgic and I like having that song still be there and with new material at the end. Like now we can now we can start every episode and have that like da 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 da, da and it's new now. It's not like we're rewatching a show. We're rewatching new stuff. I I like it. Uh, like I said, at first I didn't, but now I do. Yeah, I'm glad I convinced you on that part because now I'm gonna attempt to convince you on why the title of the episode works. Okay, I'll give you the chance. So the episode, I feel like we haven't mentioned it much yet, but it's called the Rogue Prince. So when I first watched the episode and it ended, and I re thought Damon's barely in the episode he doesn't do that much yeah and then I so then I watched it two more times and then I thought about it all morning today and then I kind of came to the realization of why it's called the rogue prince so most of the episode before Damon comes in is about the politics of the court yeah in the, the wake of Emma Aaron's death all the lords are conspiring with get my daughter to marry the king let their, our house be strong you have to strengthen house Targaryen all this, and Rhaenyra's having her own problems with the fact that she's being ignored despite being the heir. And Viserys, of course, is having his own dilemma with he doesn't want to marry a 12-year-old girl named Lena. Yeah. He'd rather be with Alison Hightower. Who's 14. So apparently. much better. Yeah, apparently she's 14. And all these things are happening. And then suddenly, every single thing about the episode that we've been watching before gets thrown out the window because Daemon Targaryen just did something crazy. Yeah. And then he basically throws everything in the episode off. Everything gets thrown off. Otto Hightower's schemes are off. Rhaenyra's own ideas and thinking, thrown off. Corlys Velaryon's schemes, yep. off. Viserys' dilemma. I mean, yeah. Everything gets forgotten because Damon has done this so, rogue thing. In the way you're saying, it's kind of like, it's like Damon may have not been in the episode much, but he still like set the tone. Like he himself... No, did change the, yeah, what was happening. More like he just... Like he had the biggest impact. It shows what his character is, is that... He's so such a rogue that at literally any point in the story, he will just do something crazy, yeah. and everything that you've that you've been watching before will be changed. Because I was listening to this other thing where it was talking about why did Otto Hightower go to Dragonstone and knowing that he was likely going to be facing a dragon and die when he's such a great schemer, and that's where it kind of clicked for me. Is that yeah, exactly? Daemon Targaryen threw off everything. He, Otto Hightower was caught by surprise. They're all react. They're not. They, no one had time to think about this. They all were just thrown into it. Otto Hightower went into this blind. Yeah, he really didn't think about the dragon, though. He really did not think about that. Well, no, he he probably did, but he didn't have the time to plan it out. Like, should I prepare for Damon Targaryen? He didn't even think of it. Damon just suddenly took an egg and sparked everyone to react. Yeah, there was no time for a scheming Otto Hightower to do something. Again, the rogue prince threw everyone off. Yeah. And that's why it's called the Rogue Prince, because though it's not about him in this episode, he does change, He does put everything to a halt because he just did something. And I'm sure in this season, we're going to be see Damon doing stuff like that a lot. He's just going to do something random that is going to make all the scheming go to a halt. All yeah. the thinking, all the character development just stops. Because he very much goes against the wind. Exactly. Like he's always like, uh, yep. Uh, I mean... I'll give it a 9.5 for that. I still would have liked to have seen... Yeah, and this is the thing. And it shows how much of a rogue he is where he'll just say, 
I'm marrying Masaria yeah. when he's already married. And then she's pregnant. And then when Rhaenyra comes in and says, why are you doing this? He's like, I don't know. Like he just did it for like, giggles. he did it for fun. He was yeah. bored. And that's again, the rogue prince. He just does things because what else should I do? Yeah. And I mean, he was going to marry Masaria. He said that even though she didn't know about it. Yeah. And I do want to say that I'm so glad we did that history and house Targaryen thing because I was thinking so much about Maegor the Cruel yeah, and his very own, much. Mm-hmm. which is interesting because in the last episode they were saying how Daemon will be Maegor or worse, and this kind of proves that point because he just did it. This could have pissed everyone off in the kingdom. Yeah, it would have been bad. Yep. And then all for literally nothing just because he was bored. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's stick in this area for a little bit. Do you think Masari is done with him then? I don't know if she's done with him, but she's definitely not happy with him. Yeah, because she's like, I came to you for protection from fear and stuff. And here I am now being put on the front line. Like, you literally put me, made me the most vulnerable person in Westeros. Yeah, and as she said, I'm not, you're a prince. You can get away with things. I'm literally nothing to anyone in this realm. Who cares what happens to me except you? Yeah. And if you're not able to protect me, then I literally have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting to see that. Yeah. And we'll come back to the Dragonstone conversation because it's not only Damon's story, it's also Rhaenyra's story. And I guess we should just turn right to Rhaenyra then. So we open this episode after that first shot of the crab feeder doing his thing. We see Rhaenyra still pouring cups. She's yeah. in the same position. I will say that the show is making this seem like a very bad thing and it's making the perception of that. But I should say in the Middle Ages, that was something that was very honorable. It was seen as a very good thing to be in that position. Well, not for a princess, though. It was more of like a lord who would do that. Like I it, guess, but I think, be considered an I think for them. in the book, Rhaenyra being the cupbearer was a very good thing for her. Because yeah. it kept her in at all the councils. Well, that's the point. Like, he, she still learns. But the problem is Viserys is not talking to her. And whenever she has suggestions, she's put down. And Otto yes. immediately was like... Oh, maybe we should have her do something more appropriate, as if she's not the heir to the Iron Throne. Because to Otto, she's not. She's just a placeholder. Yeah. Because I think Viserys doing the ceremony was not something Otto expected or thought would be much of a concern to him. Because I think when he said name Rhaenyra the heir, I think that was just a temporary, again, a half measure, Your Grace, as he said in the first episode. Yeah. Make, putting Damon in the city watch. He thinks in half measures before being very blunt about, no, you can't do this. Yeah. And with that, he definitely thought she was someone he could easily control. Yeah. And I think there was this episode he saw that she is not someone you can easily control. She has a mind of her own. She kind of has that Damon spirit in her. Like, she will do what she wants when she wants. She has a fiery temper. Yeah. As um, the actor Emma Darcy said. Yeah. Rainier's, exactly. Rainier has a very fiery personality. And her, her struggle is whether to quench it or not. Like, finding that time. So yeah, we see her make a suggestion like you have dragons when it comes to talking about these like um, pirates in the south, in the stepstones, and Coros Valarian is like at least someone has a plan because no one else wants to do anything. And to be fair, Viserys is a good point. I don't want to just start a war with people, but Coros is also right. Like if you do nothing, what will happen? Yeah, and I should note that his own idea was that he sent messages to Pentos and Volantis for an alliance. I should remind the audience that. Remember Sarah Targaryen? She is currently ruling Volantis at this yeah. point. And for those who don't know who Sarah is, if you're just listening on this episode, that's Jaehaerys and Allison's eldest daughter. The old king's 
daughter. Yeah. Who's the only one of the only surviving children. Yeah, she's point. the only surviving daughter, and she's basically self She Well, I guess she went to exile she's, after a whole scandal. She's yeah. very, very, very controversial. Yeah, so it is possible that we might hear about her. I doubt it. I very but, much doubt it. But I thought it was interesting that he said we sent messages to Volantis, and I'm sure the writer of the episode is aware that Sarah Targaryen... Well, the writer, the writer for this episode is Ryan Condal, who's like an expert on this Yeah, stuff. so he is aware that Sarah at least was there by the time of the Great Council, whether he thinks to include her later or not is open to debate. Yeah. It's neither right I, or wrong, whatever he does. I very much doubt it. It's not like a big deal, but like it is interesting to think about it like that. Yeah, so we see Rhaenyra having this big struggle with being the heir but not treated as such, at least in her mind. Yeah, and then when she wants to choose a Kingsguard, even that is something that Otto Hightower is thinking politically about, not yeah. on a strategic... So he, when she picks Kristen Cole... His first thought isn't for the protection of the king. It's how all the houses you've rejected feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rhaenyra, I think, uses the right logic of who cares? The king needs to be protected above all things. And of course, this is something that, again, I'm so glad I did the history podcast because we've talked about Visenya starting the King's Guard. Yeah. And her aim wasn't, we should have 20 knights. It's, I will personally inspect who is the best to serve as a protector of the king. Yeah. And again, that comes back with Rhaenyra. So, and of course, we know in the first episode that she was talking about naming the child Visenya. So we know that that's a role model for her. That's very true. I didn't even think of like that. Yeah. And also there's this idea that she chose him because he, like, she found him because he was, like, attractive. But that, see, they, they played it off as though it's, that's not what's important compared to the fact that he's an able warrior. Yeah. In, I'll say this. In the book, the little spoiler for Fire and Blood, it does make it seem like that was the case. But this is the objective version, apparently. I don't know if I believe that 100%, but it get, that's what we I would have thought, too, of like it's, why he was chosen. It's as objective as any other historical TV Exactly. Show. But I do agree that Rhaenyra would have chosen Kristen Cole because of his skill. Absolutely. Because he's, he's on the Dornish marches. So he's not, like, totally Dornish. He fights against the Dornish. Yeah, exactly. And now, I think we should just focus on Rhaenyra for this section. Definitely, And then yeah. go back and forth, but... yeah. So the next thing we see about Rhaenyra is her own lack of being able to mourn her mother properly. Like, yeah. for example, when she's in the set, it's the first time she really cries. Yeah. And I love that shot of her and Allison, where Allison's trying to be her friend, although we'll get back to Allison in a little bit. Yeah, we'll get back to her. And then we also see how she's struggling with her own relationship with her father in wake of what's happened. They're not able to communicate properly, and it's been six months. Yeah. So that might play a, that might also play a role in why she's not being recognized properly as the heirs because not because Viserys doesn't see her as the heir but because he just doesn't know how to communicate with her properly where the other men on the council are more thinking of well she's a girl yeah Viserys might not be thinking on that level I think he just he just know how to talk to his daughter he hasn't talked to her in in like a good decade or whatever and of course this has Rhaenyra fearing about her own right of succession as we see where she has that conversation with Rhaenys where she's obviously trying to convince herself that yeah. nothing will happen to her. Like, this is just his duty. This is just what he has to do. Yeah. Rain is saying, yeah, and you might just be removed just as I was because that's just how it is. Like, she can probably, probably say, there was a time when my father was alive and I everyone just considered me the heir because who, who, why wouldn't that be the case? And then he died out of nowhere and I was replaced. Just like that. And I really like that scene between them because it very much shows that Rainey is a little bitter. But also try and tell Rhaenyra as it is. Like, don't get too comfortable there because look what happened to me. Yeah, I understand why she's bitter. I mean, she was removed. I would be, yeah. She was removed because of her gender, and then Rhaenyra was named heir despite her gender. By the person who replaced her. Yeah, that's not exactly something I would be happy with. Yeah. And yeah. 
and I think she's being honest at the same time, not just being bitter, but being flat or honest, saying, you may think you're, com you may be comfortable now, but give it a few years once my child or any child that Viserys has with another woman, that child will be a threat to you no matter what, just yeah. because you're a woman. Just because of that, you'll, you'll always be thought of as less than the heir, even if you are the named heir. And I think all this plays a role into why she goes to Dragonstone, because she wants to prove herself as a Yeah, hero. and so, yeah, so basically when she learns that Damon took the egg, her first thought is which egg, which is her brother's egg. The egg that she wanted to give to her brother Balon, and of course... I wanted to say mention that Dreamfire, the dragon got a Dreamfire is my favorite dragon from Fire and Blood, so I'm I very much want to see what Dreamfire yeah. looks Again, like. Again, if you haven't listened to our past podcast, she was the dragon of Reyna, another woman who was passed over for the throne because of her gender. Yeah. So I wonder if they did that on purpose with Dreamfire to mention, uh, like, if you know, you know that yeah. that was the the last one to ride. It was a woman who was passed over. Yeah. And who clearly had a problem with being passed over. Reyna was a total badass. But we're not here to talk about Reyna. We're here to talk about Rhaenyra. So, yeah. So then, so basically, she is she done with Damon? Is she pissed off with him right now? Or, because I guess I'll get there eventually. So, she decides to go on without permission. Mm -hmm. And so it was the right move because she definitely handled the situation better than it was. Because Otto and Kristen Cole and Harold Wesley and uh, uh, Maester Melos, they're about to be dead. Yeah, of course, as I said it earlier, that Otto Hightower, the schemer, was thrown off, so he had no plan. He was just go. I think he expected to die. It seems that the only person who wasn't thrown off was, weirdly enough, Rhaenyra. Even though it was her she felt yeah. She felt, this is my chance. <laughs> yeah. So she comes in and basically saves the day and, like, talks down the beast in a way. Like, it's like almost like beating the beast in a weird, weird way. Of course, his anger is still clearly there. Yeah. He it, doesn't want to take it out on Rhaenyra. Yeah. Though. But she, like, she takes situation in her hands. But you can also argue it's a bit reckless. She took her own life that she's the heir. And she just, if she died, they're all screwed. So, so I can see some people being, she's reckless. Like, almost like Damien, we can't control her. We can't let her be um, queen because she'll be, what we fear in Damien will be her too. We can't trust her. So I can definitely see the problems that some people may have with that. Um, and what I was saying before was in terms of, is Rhaenyra done with Damien? Because when he throws the egg at her, you kind of see her smiling. And not like a triumphant smile, like almost like, that's my uncle. That's how I, that's the vibes I got from it. Well, she was clearly mad with him at the end of the last episode when he said the heir for a day. She was not happy yeah. with him. Do you think, but there's, do you think this is part of her, it's like, I love my uncle? Because she knows who her uncle is. I think she was going to Dragonstone because she wanted to be, I think she was angry at Damon. Yeah. And I think after having a conversation with him, she realized, oh, he probably didn't do it to be spiteful to me. And also he did it for attention. And when she t says, you took... The, you angered Viserys. He says, how did I anger him? And I think in that moment, she realized that he didn't do, he didn't steal that egg specifically to piss off Viserys and Rhaenyra. He just took that egg because... It was there. Yeah. <laughs> he just took the nearest one. He wasn't thinking about and it. He said, and she said, you took the egg that my brother had. And she said, well, you had an egg in your cradle. I wanted it for the same for my son. And she was, she probably thought, oh, this had nothing to do with the fact that he's angry. This is just what he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, that dragon stuff scene was a very good scene. I kind of talked about in pieces already, but like, because, very good. Yeah. And she basically, and I'll say this too, he definitely would turn Otto against her too, because she stole the show from him. I know he was about to be killed and stuff, but he was probably not even thinking about it like that. He's probably thinking, I had the situation, it was my call, and now I've been reduced to basically a background character in the scene. He doesn't say another word after Rhaenyra walks past him. That's true. Well, no one does. And mean, Rhaenyra just takes situations, showing that she can handle these things, but also that she's reckless and that she doesn't listen to people. Which is why Otto was probably like, 
Allison, Allison, Allison in terms of what should happen. And, um, yeah, the dragon swim scene was probably the peak of the episode, I would say. It was definitely the most tense moment. Yeah. And then this is followed by Rhaenyra and Viserys being able to at last have a conversation. Yeah. Where they're able to let loose their feelings and how they're both affected by Emma's death. But it's not, like too deep though it definitely still like there's i can definitely see the relationship still being strained yeah like they think it's enough for them but i can see the way it is like that it's not one thing that i think we clearly see in this episode is that the shadow of emma aaron hangs over rhaenyra and viserys specifically but not the court the whole court is seeing this as an opportunity to advance themselves everyone's moved on but the people who have been are, affected by this the most. Yep. I've, literally everyone has moved on, though. And I think that's how Allison is able to win the game versus the Valarians because Corliss Valarian is very blunt in what he yeah. wants. He says, look, the time has come. You need to remarry. Marry my daughter, Lena. Strengthen our houses and be done with it. And I will say, as disgusting as that is, the, that marriage, it does make the most sense politically speaking. Meanwhile, Allison plays the game different. She goes down the route of, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm here for you to talk to. I'm here for you to listen. She doesn't say, marry me. She's not saying, you've got to have a new wife. She's saying, oh, you want to marry Lena? That's a good match. I'm happy that you're willing to move on. And then that leaves, and then, of course, that builds a bomb between them. Yeah. But it all seems like Allison at first is using this to, like, try to, like, be on Rhaenyra's side still. Because she does urge both of them to talk to each other. Like, she's trying to be, like, the friend of both of them. I think Allison is conflicted. Yeah. Because I think Alicent doesn't necessarily want to be marrying Viserys. I think yeah. I think she enjoys his company. I think she finds comfort in Viserys. Yeah. And I think she likes him. Not in love with him, but I think she likes him and on I, a level. And I think also it has to do with like the difference between Rhaenyra and Viserys. Viserys is a huge history geek, right? And we know Alicent very much cares about being in our studies and stuff like that. Whereas Rhaenyra is very much like, I'll rip the book. Yeah. So I think she also finds more comfort because she relates a little more to Viserys in a way. Yeah. So she definitely finds comfort in Viserys, but at the same time, she definitely feels guilty about betraying her friend. Definitely. Yeah. And they make it clear it's a betrayal because Viserys says, you haven't talked to Rhaenyra about this yet. I don't think she'll be able to understand. Yeah. So clearly both of them know that this is not something that Rhaenyra would be happy with. And I think Allison is trying to be both their friends, but I think at the end of the day, she's going to have to choose. Yeah. And I don't think she's going to understand that yet. I don't know when she yeah. will be able to I don't think it out. hits her how much this actually would put a strain on her friendship. Because I think making, fixing the dragon thing, I don't think that was done because, oh, I want to be your wife. I think that was because she actually likes Viserys. And again, yeah. I don't mean she's in love with him. I mean, I think she sees him as a friend or someone to talk to that isn't Rhaenyra. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think she relates to him more than she does Rhaenyra. Maybe not that, but definitely I think she is able to be around him and feel comfortable yeah i think i don't think she feels comfortable around a lot of people i think she only really feels comfortable around yeah and viserys not her father yeah. and after hearing emily carey's talking about this on that house of dragon podcast like a lot of this is reaffirmed with what she said she basically said basically everything we're saying she clearly does not feel comfortable around him i mean when he's holding her as he's about to leave he grabs her tightly and says why do you hurt yourself and she clearly does not want to be in his touch yeah i don't doubt that she loves her father but i don't think she's I don't think he makes her feel good. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it's an abusive relationship, but it is in a way. It is. It is in the modern age. I would say it's abusive. Yeah. But like in the medieval sense, like pimping out your daughter, I guess is the way I say it. And that. It's it's the expected behavior, sociologically speaking. I'm glad you're talking about the pimping out thing because I have a historical thing to talk about. Okay. Here we go. So 
I'm 100% sure that a lot of people are going to compare this to Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII, but I don't. I don't either. Because I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Anne Boleyn definitely was not looking to marry the king or even be around the king. There was no precedent at the time for anything like that. However, I think Alison Hightower's role here fits more with Anne Boleyn's successor, Jane Seymour. Yeah. And just for fun to mention this, last episode we talked about the C-section that was alleged to have happened to Jane Seymour. So it's fun to see that Jane Seymour is being paralleled in more than one way. Yeah. So Jane Seymour was the third wife of Henry VIII, and she married Henry VIII 11 days after Anne Boleyn was executed, betrothed the day after. So just let that sink in, how quick this was able to happen for Anne. And how quickly Henry was done with her, Anne. Exactly. And we should note that Anne Boleyn's the one giving the rap for being the seductress who wants to get Henry under her grasp. But as Michael said, there was no precedent for that. But for Jane Seymour, there would have been. Anne so, Boleyn would have been the precedent, yeah. Because they would have said, well, she got the king, so why can't you? And of course, I would say that Jane Seymour likely had her father and her brothers, the Seymours, pushing her into doing this. The difference I would say here is though is that Jane Seymour was in her late 20s, where Allison's in her early teens. So the agency might be different. So Allison might be more conflicted in the sense of, oh, I like them both, and I, I bet she doesn't even expect fully what's happening, or even that she has any agency in her own right, where I would say Jane Seymour probably did because she was older, able to be more able to say, you know what, this is what I want, or maybe I'll just do this. I could see that. But I will say that I do think this is how Henry VIII and Jane Seymour met and fell in love. It she was the opposite of Anne Boleyn. She was the good, gentle, pious lady that Henry fell for. I don't think there was any sexual content involved with it. I don't even think necessarily for Anne Boleyn it was either. But I'm just yeah. saying that in the historical lens of how we contrast the two. And yeah, so that's just my own historical take on this. Yeah, quick. Like, not Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, but a lot of people will probably be saying Anne Boleyn. More Jane Seymour, less Anne Boleyn, but historically, the way most people look at Anne Boleyn, they'll say, I'm sure there's going to be the video that says Anne Boleyn. Yeah, I'm sure I if, that. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm saying it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree 100%. And Allison's not the only candidate. In, I mean, is she even a candidate, though? Just, Al- just a less obvious candidate. Yeah, because yeah, as we were saying that Corliss's blunt auto is very scheming. How yeah. He and pushed Allison under everyone. We'll get there because I have more to say about that. So the other option was Lena, which is... She's young. She's 12. And in, sadly, she is the better choice, despite her age. Yeah. I mean, better choice probably than uh, some Dornish princess, but that's just... Unite the... Yeah. Well, that's whatever. just me. And, um... But yeah, so Corliss is pushing for that. And... Everyone's telling him to do it. Like, Lar- like um, Strong, Lionel Strong. Lionel Strong is like, you should do it. You should do it. It makes sense. You don't want Corliss as your enemy because Corliss is the most powerful man in the country. You really don't want to anger him. And then Viserys is like, but she's 12. Like, I can't do that. So at least someone's thinking, like, you know, like that at least. Yeah. And I do like their conversation where yeah. they're trying to find a connection with the dragons. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. Lena's trying to say... Oh, you wrote Balerion. That's so cool. I wonder where Vagar is the next largest dragon from the Conquest. And then then she goes into duty saying, well, I'll be honored to be your wife and bear you children when she's 12. And whether or not she actually feels that way. She is... does. She clearly doesn't. Yeah. She, she's saying what she's told to say. And Viserys clearly understands that because she's 12. And he's like, I can't. I can't. He's He goes, because <sighs> he kind of wants a way out of it. Yeah, he does. And he takes it. 
And we all see, as you said, we saw Otto scheming. And I think we saw a little bit of Melo scheming with him. They he, definitely phrased they, it as like Melo, they sounded at first, oh, supportive of it. But then they went, then Otto sneakily goes like, oh, but I don't envy you because you've just lost your wife. Like he's turning him away from Lena. Yeah. And I think we know that the Hightowers and the Citadel are very close together yeah. in alliance because... The Citadel is a pa- I mean, the Citadel. The High Towers are a patron to the Citadel. Yeah. So whatever Melos is doing is not because for the good of the realm. He's in league with Otto. So whatever he's saying is what and Otto wants. And if you watch the scene, you can see them share. Look. Yeah. So they clearly are conspiring. Melos, the Maesters in general, are very suspicious. More suspicious than in Game of Thrones. And that had Grey Maester Pycelle. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely. I, I agree. think they might have been going for that because Grey Maester Pycelle was the. Oh, I'm old and feeble, but I'm really not. Yeah, so they, they definitely want you to. So the Macers are just not trustworthy in either, I guess. But I think here they're just, it's so obvious. Yeah. You, it's, I don't know how you can miss it if you, especially if you read the books. Yeah, so basically you got two opposing forces. And as we've made very clear many times in this, like the last like 20 or so minutes, like Otto is more secret with it, whereas Quo is more blunt. So the stairs definitely saw like Coros's attempts but didn't really get Otto's attempts because Otto never outright said marry Allison he just had Allison be there yeah and he kind of turned him against Lena like secretly and like, he, very subtly and he allowed Viserys to make his own choice yeah but it was really his it was really Otto's plan yeah I would say so because he also said he also sent that secret letter to Old Town in the last episode so we, yeah. what could that have been we don't know it was only his own ambitions obviously 100% and then we know this was what he wanted because at the end of the, end of the episode when Viserys announces it, he's smirking. And when he, uh, Corlys is clearly mad, Otto is in celebration. Look, yeah. how, look how he looks at Corlys. I love that scene because it really is so like well done with how first of Viserys and Rhaenyra, they may have reconciled a little bit, but they definitely don't communicate still. Like It's not solved. And it's clear because he didn't bother to tell Rhaenyra, yeah, I'm going to marry your best friend. Because she was sitting there thinking, Lena. And, and then, then Allison, and then the look of betrayal on her face. Yeah, and Allison came and meet Rhaenyra's gaze, and she—I mean, she expected it, right? Because she's in the council room. I would think that Otto would have been very expecting what's going to happen once the summons came for Allison, or maybe yeah. he just said, "You'll come. You're coming with me," and that was not planned. Yeah, and so and Rhaenyra's obviously not the only one pissed off. Of course, Valarin's like, "I am the greatest power. How dare you insult me like this?" And just as Lionel Strong said, "You don't want to anger Corlys." He storms out, and guess what he does? He allies himself with Damon, And he goes against the king's wishes to not start a war. Yeah, which, rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, it's a real problem. So our episode basically ends with a lot of people pissed off with Viserys. Rhaenyra, Corlys, and Damon. Who knows how Rhaenys is going to feel, by the way. Well, Rhaenys didn't want the marriage so much. I think she wanted the alliance, but I think she didn't like the idea of her daughter marrying. At that age, yeah. I mean, but it's still an insult. Insult's an insult. It's still an insult. It absolutely is an insult. Yeah. So, and we also have, like, this is the beginning of our factions forming, but we have, like, Corlys and Damon allying, and we have, obviously, the high towers with Viserys, but Rhaenyra still stands alone. Yeah, Rhaenyra has no it's real allies. Al- it's basically, she's never been more alone. If you look at it, she has no one on her side but herself. Yeah, even Viserys it, is on the, her side. Because throughout the episode, we've been getting in our heads. If if Viserys has another child and it's a boy, that child will come before Rhaenyra. So now with Alicent marrying, everyone's going to be like, whatever son she has. So Rhaenyra is now out of the loop. And that obviously, who knows what 
what she's going through in her head with that because she just thought she reconciled. Now it's all being thrown out the window. Again, a big theme in this episode. Everything gets thrown out the window. Yeah. Conclusion. All in all, this is a very good episode. Almost like a roller coaster. Shifting alliances, shifting ideas. Yeah, it, it goes all over the place it, in a good way. It wasn't as insane as the first episode, but I think that's what made it such a good episode in its own right. Yeah, like it what didn't have to re- it didn't rely on like violence and like big things happening. It very much relied on the character talk, character dialogue, character development and all that stuff and like just the politics. What yeah. makes Game of Thrones so great? Yeah, and it didn't even need to ride on the last episode. Yeah. It was, it was very, very good. good. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very good like second episode, I guess you can say. It very much has you invested and very much gives you an idea of where things are heading. More so than the first episode did, I would say. Things are start. I, I know it's only well, episode two, but things are starting to well, shape from I'll the direction. I'll say things are starting to shape from the beginning of the the end of the last episode, but now things are being seen more clearly. Which is, obviously, I feel like I'm obviously, but every show does that. Obviously, things build up. But, like, I really gotta say it really is, like, and it's do- being done so well. Now, my question for you is this. Yeah. Because we already discussed, I believe we discussed at least on the podcast, whether we thought the first episode of House of the Dragon was better than the first episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I believe we both agreed that this episode was better than the premiere of Game of Thrones. I believe we've agreed on that. Yeah, House of the Dragon premiere was better. Yep. I think that's I'm not saying. sure if we've said that on the podcast, but we're saying it now. Yeah. So what do you think about this episode compared to the second episode? It's going to be like our thing that we do now. Kind of it might be a little fun. I will say this basically not having watched episode two since we did that review way back when i will say i think they're on par they very much set the foundation where the story's going very much like very much like the same thing very much like personal stuff going on big things happen still i would say it's on par okay it's on par because it didn't it did have a very good ending it wasn't the same ending as the dire wolf attack of course yeah but it's very much set up where the stories go i, I mean it's different events different characters so at the end it's to be different but it's very, it's very, like, very much um, similar in how good it was and yeah. how much it got you excited for episode three. Yeah. So where the first episode was more insane than the first episode of Game of Thrones, and I think just better, this one was more equal. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's the wrap with this one. Yeah, so that's our review for The Rogue Prince, which I hope I've convinced you on why it's called that now. It's still 9.5. What was That's, nine before? So yeah. I'm, I've raised it to what my first episode was. So yeah, it's a little bit higher, but nine point five, very good episode. I mean, not like I think when I take a peg, when I take points off, it means it's bad, but it's not. It's really good. I'm enjoying every second of this. But yeah, so we'll be back next week with our review for episode three, which I don't know if we know the name of yet. Well, we'll say it when we get it. So yeah, I'm. But I'm very excited for that. I mean, like Game of Thrones is back at this point, and I'm just. Very, very, very excited. We also have the Rings of Power too coming. Actually, I just remembered that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how we'll we'll see how we're, we're gonna do we that. We might we're thinking about doing an episode for that, though. It's probably be a lot less of analysis than this. It's gonna be giving just our thoughts and what we feel about it. Well, we'll see. We'll talk more about so it. So maybe we'll be we'll record Friday after. We'll see. So see you then. Bye. Bye.